Will you bow with me and let's pray together once again. Father, truly you are holy and you are awesome. And we are unworthy. Lord, thank you that even though you are holy and perfect, that you are so far above us and beyond us, you still make a way for us. You still have reached down to us by sending your one and only Son as our Savior. Father, I want to follow in the footsteps of of Paul as he would thank you for the various churches he was writing to. And so, Lord, as a church, we want to thank you, God, for blessing the individuals who are keeping the nursery and keeping children's church. Thank you, Lord, for the blessing that they are to this church. In the same way, Lord, we thank you for all those who serve on our, our praise and worship team, those who are in the band. We thank you for Miss Pat, Lord, you've gifted all of these individuals with great talents, and they have chosen to give those talents back to you in the way that they serve you, Lord. Thank you so much, Father. We ask that you would be blessed through this service, through this time. God, we turn our attention now wholly and completely to your perfect word. Even now, Lord, as I stand behind this pulpit, I know, Father, that I'm a foolish and frail servant. God, in spite of my weakness, in spite of my unworthiness, in spite of my inability, God, I pray that you would speak. That, Father, the words that come from me and from my heart would be stopped. And that everything that we hear this morning, Father, would be from your Holy Spirit. Lord, if there are things that I teach or say that are not in agreement with your word, let us not even hear them this morning. But only let the words that are true to your Holy Spirit fall on our ears, and plant themselves into our hearts. That we may leave this place comforted. That we may leave this place encouraged, but also challenged and convicted of our sin. That we might be inspired and motivated to live for you and devote our lives to you based off of the reading, the teaching, the proclamation of your holy word. God, we ask that you would do this. Holy Spirit, would you come Would you speak to us now? We ask all this in the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. If you have your Bible with you this morning, and I hope that you do, I encourage you to take it and turn with me to the letter of James. The letter of James, just after the book of Hebrews in the New Testament. If you didn't happen to bring your own copy of God's Word with you, but you'd still like to use a printed copy of the Word of the Lord, there should be some located in the back of the pew there in front of you. Feel free to borrow one of those. Or if you don't own your own copy of God's Word, let that be our gift to you and feel free to take it home with you and we will happily replenish it before next week. So whether you are finding your place in the Word of the Lord in a printed edition or in a digital edition or whether you just want to follow along on the screens, However you might be accessing the word of the Lord, I would ask, if you're physically able, would you please stand out of reverence for the public reading of God's holy word as we look together now in the book of James, chapter 1, we'll be beginning in verse 9, I'll read through verse 18, when I've completed this reading, I'll say this is the word of the Lord, if you are grateful for it, I encourage you to respond with a hearty, thanks be to God. Let's look together now. James chapter 1, beginning in verse 9. The word of the Lord says, Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation, 
and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil. And he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. If you'll remember, we began this sermon series looking at the letter that James writes to those who are in the dispersion in the book of Romans chapter 8. This morning, it is going to be one of those mornings that it is very important for all of us together to remember Romans chapter 8 verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That is the message of the gospel. What James is writing is that once you have believed that message and taken it into your heart as true and are living a life devoted to Christ, here are ways to live wisely. Here is what it looks like to have a Christian life of wisdom and devotion to the Lord. And so he begins his letter. This morning I want to make sure that we remember full and well none of us will ever reach perfection until we stand before the Lord Jesus on that day. Whether that is when he comes back, if that's before we pass away, or if it is after we pass away from this life and we stand before him in the very presence of God Almighty. We will continue to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, as it says in Philippians chapter 2. And so, when we come to the book of James, maybe you're thinking as a Christian, Woo! I am doing really good these days, y'all. Let me tell you what. As Christians go, I am top notch. I have been doing all the right things. I've been tithing. I've been real honest lately. I ain't said no bad words. I ain't done nothing inappropriate. Boy, I ain't been lusting after nobody. I, I tell you what, I've just been keeping my tongue under control. I'm just doing wonderful. And then you read the book of James and you go, you know what? I still got a long way to go. We could, we could try and follow the Lord for a hundred years and then come to the book of James. And the book of James ought to rightly reveal the evil that is within our hearts and remind us how far from the perfection of Jesus we still are. We'll never get there. That's why Jesus was necessary. No matter how hard you work, no matter how many good things you do, our good things don't counterbalance the bad things. 
The bad things that we do separate us from God. The only way is to live a perfect life and never sin. And no one in all of human history has ever been able to do that other than Jesus. So what James should constantly remind us of is that we are in desperate need for a perfect Savior, for Jesus, who is the Christ, the Messiah, because on our own, we could never measure up. But he measured up for us. And so I hope this morning as we go through these verses, we are reminded of how good God is for sending Jesus. And how even though I am so far from where I ought to be, Jesus is my righteousness. And I will continue to strive and I will continue to work. But ultimately I know that salvation is found in Jesus Christ and in Him alone. So, let's dive back in to the book of James. Remember in verse 1, we're specifying this is James the just, the brother of Jesus. He's willing to designate himself as a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. He writes this to the tribes who are in dispersion. Stephen is martyred and everybody scatters. Remember there in Acts chapter 8. And this letter is being written to all those who were scattered about after the death of Stephen and the rise of severe persecution in the early church. So as you start to read, like we did last week, you may think that James is a little bit ADHD. I don't know about you, but as we walk through these verses, it seems like he's kind of bouncing all over the place, right? Verse 2, count it all joy when you meet trials of various kind, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfast. Then in verse 5, we jump to wisdom. If any of you lacks wisdom, ask God, and God will give generously to all without reproach. And then all of a sudden, here we are in verse 9, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and and then in verse 12 uh, let the man who remains steadfast under trial like wait, wait a minute we just we were done with the trials right that was like verses two and three and then now you're coming back to the trials I, I don't understand and as you continue oh okay well don't don't be deceived every good and perfect gift comes from above it feels kind of like james is bouncing all over the place right but everything about this ties in to where he begins in chapter one he starts off in verse 2, and he says, count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds. As you meet those trials, you count it as joy because the Lord is testing us and growing us and making us more steadfast. You see, the, the thing about a Christian life, that even in the midst of trial and temptation and struggle, we remain steadfastly devoted to Jesus. We continue to follow hard after him. And if you don't understand what it means to count it joy that we suffer, you ask God for wisdom. That's why he makes that transition in verse 5. If you don't understand why the trials and struggles are coming your way, then ask God for wisdom and he will help you to understand just as we talked about last week. Now that answer more than likely is going to be, um, hey Nathan, excuse me, you're 34 years old, I'm eternal. I've been around since before there was time I think I know a little bit better than you, and you're just going to have to trust me. That may be the wisdom that the Lord gives to us generously. But if we are in the midst of struggle, in the midst of trial, and we don't understand, we go to God for that wisdom, and he will pour it out on us. So in verse 9, he says, Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation. Presumably, the lowly brother is someone who is experiencing trials of various kinds. 
When it talks about trials of various kinds, part of the trials that James is thinking of is being blackballed out of your industry. Imagine that you're a welder today and you say, I am a follower of Christ. And so they kick you out of all the welding guilds and all the welding associations. If you're a teacher and they kick you out of the teacher's association because you say you are a Christian. And then everywhere you go, they will only hire you if you're a part of that association, if you're a part of that network, if you're a part of that community. So people who are under various trials and have become lowly are those who have been under severe persecution and they probably don't have the money to make ends meet. And he says, boast in your exaltation because you have been brought low for the sake of Jesus. Don't take that as something as humiliation, but take that as something to be proud of, that you are lowly for the sake of Jesus. And in the same way, the rich in their humiliation. It's okay that you are wealthy and have been made humiliated because of Jesus. It's okay to boast in that humiliation for those who were in the early church who had considerable wealth and now they are nothing and they have been humiliated in front of all of high society. This is him continuing to give instruction on how to endure those trials. And he reminds us of how fleeting life is. Grass fades, the flowers, beauty perishes, so also will it fade for the rich man in the midst of their pursuit. And so he continues in verse 12. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. It's, it's not about understanding the trial. It's about remaining steadfast in the trial. It's about a long obedience in the same direction. I don't understand why, but I will continue to follow the Lord. Those of us who make that kind of a declaration, who set that in our heart, we are the ones who are blessed. For when they stood the test, they will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. And I, I really want to settle in here on verse 13. We, we mentioned this briefly when we went through our Lord's Prayer sermon series. We talked about lead us not into temptation. We talked about how the Lord doesn't lead us into temptation. Let no one say when they're being tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God can't be tempted by evil, one. And then two, he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, gives, brings forth death. Folks, I really, really wanted to be able to give you a great Yoda impression from Star Wars and talk about how Anakin Skywalker had fear and fear leads to hate and hate leads to the dark side because George Lucas was totally copying James chapter 1, right? I mean, like, they're given the breakdown of how sin happens and that's what George Lucas is doing for how Anakin makes his way to the dark side. But I just, I don't do a good Yoda. I'm sorry. I, you know, when you go home, maybe watch a little clip of Star Wars and, and listen to Yoda talk about the path to the dark side. I, anybody? No? All right, just me. That's okay. That's all right. It's Yoda. He's a pretty wise dude. I mean, good movie, you know. Just throwing that out there. When we come to this passage, we always want to blame somebody else, don't we? We always want to look at someone else as the person who is responsible for our sin. And the best scapegoat is the devil, right? The best scapegoat is Satan. 
You know, we're tempted constantly by Satan and his evil dark forces that are coming after us. Folks, we have to stop giving Satan so much credit. He is not omniscient. The angel of light that used to be called Lucifer that has fallen, who is our adversary, who is pridefully against everything that is good from God, he is not omniscient. He does not know what you think at every moment. He is not on par with God at all. This is not some great cosmic struggle where there's good and there's evil and hopefully the good will win out. This is good has already triumphed, but evil has not recognized it. And the devil is not as powerful as God. He's not omniscient. He does not know everything that there is to know. He's also not omnipresent. If by chance the devil were sitting here among us this morning, he is not capable of sitting here with us and at First Baptist Andalusia and at First Baptist Pleasant Grove and at First Baptist Bruton and at all these other churches. He can't do that. That's not within his realm of ability or power. He is not omnipresent. So we have to stop acting like the devil is constantly on our shoulder tempting us When in reality, what happens is exactly what James describes. Each person is tempted when the devil pops up on their shoulder and says, Ooh, look at that pretty lady. Ooh, get some of that extra money. Tempting you to be greedy. Tempting you to lust. Tempting you to be prideful. No, that's that's not what it says. We're tempted when we're lured and enticed. That is intentional fishing language, okay? This is... A book written, and he, man, James is sitting around a bunch of fishermen when he's writing it, probably. He wrote lured on purpose. Oh, see, that's where it comes in. That's where it comes in, Pastor. The devil's luring us. He's, he's cast it out there, and he's, no. We're luring and enticing ourselves. Each person is tempted when he or she is lured and enticed by their own desire. We want something, and we tempt ourselves. And lure ourselves into a sinful attitude about what we want. We want more prominence in society, and so we fill ourselves with pride. We become pompous and stuck up and snobby, and we think we deserve more than we've got because we desire something we do not have. We look on someone of the opposite sex, and we think, I want this person because they are attractive, whether it's a man or a woman. Our desires lead us into temptation. It is from our own heart. It is from our own desires that sin is born. And then we rationalize it out and we blame it on the devil or we blame it on somebody else. We blame it on the situation. We blame it on whatever else is going on around us. And we never look inward and say, hey, maybe I'm the problem. And so what ends up happening is it becomes very easy to judge somebody else for their sin because their sin is more egregious than your sin because your sin's not your fault. My sin is not my fault. So you know what? I cannot believe that so-and-so would do such-and-such. Fill in the blank for whatever you get appalled at. Everybody's got their own disgustometer, okay? And certain sins are more disgusting or less disgusting to various individuals. And those of us who look at others and we think about their sin and are more disgusted by their sin than our own often find we're blaming our sin on someone else. I want to just have a brief experiment this morning. 
I don't want anybody to talk out loud about this. All right? That's not asking much at Bethany. People don't talk out loud during sermons very much anyway. It's okay. All right? I want everybody to take just a moment. We're going to bow our heads. We're going to close our eyes. We're going to do a thought experiment. Will you bow? Will you close? And I want in your heart and in your mind for all of us together to think, what is my sin? Take one moment right now. In your mind, begin to list what is the sin in your life. Maybe it's one, maybe it's 50. What is my sin? As you think through those things, ask yourself, how do I feel about my sin? As you and I sit here and think through our sins, are you as disgusted Am I as disgusted with my own sin as the sin that I read about or saw on Fox News or CNN or Facebook or whatever? The sin that I saw this morning. Am I as disgusted with the sin of the other? Am I more disgusted with my sin or theirs? And here's here's another question I want you to think of. When was the last time that you thought about your sin? Have you ever done this before? As you think on it, have you ever asked God, Lord, what what are the sins that I don't see in my life? What are the sins in my blind spots? What are the sins that I'm committing and I don't even realize I'm committing them? And ask God to reveal those to you. As you do that right now, I want you to think, do I hate that sin in my heart? Am I disgusted with my own sin? Am I fighting to put that sin to death? Well, be honest with yourself. Am I rationalizing that sin? I only do that because my parents were this way. I only act that way because my brother treated me this way. I only act this way because growing up in high school, it was like this for me. I only act that way because the devil always finds a way to put that temptation in front of me. And I just want to read these verses one more time while our eyes are still closed. Each person. Every one of us in this room, we are tempted when we are lured and enticed by our own desires. As that desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is grown, brings forth death. Open your eyes, look back up with me. I can't look to anybody else for my sin problem. I can't judge anybody else more harshly than I judge myself for my own sin. And the same has got to be true with each and every one of us who claim to be followers of Jesus. But our problem is we get so high and haughty and snobby and look down our noses at other people whose sin is not our sin. 
whose sin is not our problem, and we've minimized our sin, and we maximize their sin because we forget. We give up on knowing that this sin is mine and mine alone. And I've stopped trying to crucify my sin in my heart, and I'm more preoccupied with your sin in your heart. And that is not of God. It's one thing to recognize a sin and call a sin a sin, but to be disgusted with everybody else's shortcomings except our own is false pride. It's false humility even. He continues, and it may not seem like verse 17 ties into this, but verse 17 does. He says, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. God does not change. God is not wavering like the wind. God is not like a shadow that shifts as the sun moves. God is constant, and he gives good gifts. Every good and perfect gift comes from above, from God. So that means if you have a heart attack and you need a stent put into your arteries and they're able to put drugs in your body that keep you alive until they can put you in surgery and put a stent and they're able to boof, open up that artery and all your blood flows, that is awesome. And I am so grateful for medical professionals. But all of the technology and all of the knowledge to be able to do that is a gift from God. It's all from God. Every good thing in our lives is a gift from God in one way or another. The fact that we can sit in this room and most of us not be sweating unless you're up here preaching, okay? The fact that it's cool and comfortable in this room and there's cushions on the pews. Maybe they're not the most comfortable seats, but they're good seats. That's a gift from God from above. The fact that you and I were born into this country where we have that technology. Do you know they perform bypass surgeries now almost like it's drive through It's as much trouble to them as taking their kid to school that morning. They hook you up to a perfusion machine that just runs your blood and is your heart. And they're like, well, let's just fix their heart and then put them back together. If your hip all jacks up, guess what? They just go put all this titanium and stuff in your body and then, whoop, brand new hip. You need new knees? We can put new knees in. All of that and the availability that we have to receive those things and get those medical treatments, that's all a gift from God. You and I did nothing to merit that favor, that grace from God. If you're born into a family where there's already a business running and that business is handed down to you, guess what? That's a blessing. That's a good gift from God. If somebody sees your resume in a stack and they give you a job and you work really hard and you try to earn your way up the ladder and people continue to have favor, the fact that they have favor on you is a good gift from God. But that goes against the ideal of the American dream, which ties back into this sin issue because we like to think that we're all self-made individuals, that I am where I am and I earn what I earn because I work my tail off. Well, you know what? There's people who wake up every day and work their fingers to the bone and they go to sleep every night and they live their whole lives and they die and they are impoverished their whole lives and they work twice as hard as everybody in this room. All of us work hard. There are some lazy people, but we have a tendency to think, God didn't give me these things. I didn't get any blessings from the Lord. I did this myself. And I want us to remember every good and perfect gift comes from above. That job that we've been blessed with, that's a blessing from God. The income that comes in every month, blessing from God. 
Now, this is not to negate the necessity of hard work. It is good to work hard. But what happens is we take a good thing in a good work ethic, in hard work, and we make it the ultimate thing. We make hard work our idol. And just because we work hard, we begin to look down on anybody that we perceive as not working hard. And that's pride welling up in our hearts because of our desire to be superior. That pride swells within us and we play it down like it's not really as bad. I'm not out there getting drunk. I'm not out there smoking marijuana. I'm not snorting crack. I've never put a needle of heroin in my body. I'm doing great. I don't hit my wife or I don't down talk to my husband and nag him. I mean, we're good Christians. We show up at church all along. This is all good stuff. We're, we're not sinners. Those people are wretched sinners. I tell you what, we're definitely not homosexuals. Ooh, I mean, those people are bad sinners. You know what? When the Lord is letting people in and out of heaven, when He comes to talk to you, if you don't know Jesus, and He's looking down the list of all the sins in your life, and the first sin He gets to is lying, that's enough to keep you out of heaven. If the first sin he gets to is your pride and you don't know Jesus, that's enough to keep you out of heaven. If the first sin that he gets to is murder and you don't know Jesus, that's enough to keep you out of heaven. One sin, one rebellion against God is enough to separate us from a holy God. And down here we like to put them on degrees and we like to rationalize our sin and make everybody else's sin more disgusting. We like to think that we've made ourselves and other people are lazy and they should just get off their rear and they should just work hard and then they can do something with their life. And that's when we forget. Every good and perfect gift comes from above. And every sin, every person has sin in their heart because of their own desire, because of their own temptation, because we lure and entice ourselves into sin. Folks, we're horrible. We're wretched. We have no good thoughts. We do no good deeds. On our own, we are selfish and prideful, and it's all about me. And it's all about how good I am. But see, that's where Jesus comes in, and that's where the hope is. When we accept Christ into our life, He changes that want to. And we begin to hate our sin and our selfishness and we begin to crucify ourselves every day and live for Him. And the good begins to work into our lives and our hearts. Even when we think we're doing good deeds, you know, most of the time there's not really an unselfish good deed. We do a good deed because we want somebody to notice we've done a good deed. Or we do a good deed because we want to feel better about ourselves. We do a good deed so that we can have pride in what we're doing. And we think we're better than somebody else who's not doing good deeds. Our desire leads us into sin. Just when you and I think, well, we're really not that bad. The gospel reminds us that the news is really bad before it's really good. James is a constant reminder that just when you think, man, I'm really getting somewhere. We're reminded we're so far from the mark. And it is only because of Jesus that we have any hope. It is only because of Him. And so this morning, I, I want to encourage us to take these verses with us. 
to remember that everything that is good and perfect comes from God. We're not all self-made individuals. We're not where we are absent of God's grace. If not for the grace of God, we'd be the heroin addict in the street with needles in our arms. Let us remember that nobody else is responsible for our sin except for us. And you might think, I, I, just, I don't know that I agree with that, preacher. Just real quick, turn with me to Genesis 3. Last thing and then we're done. Genesis chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Genesis chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. This is how sin has worked from the very beginning. This is how we have been from the very first human. Verse 1, now the serpent, chapter 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? All right, there is Satan. Satan shows up and offers temptation. That is true. It can happen. He's not everywhere, but he is some places, and he can tempt you. But look at Eve's response. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. Satan didn't tell her to add extra words. She added extra words on her own. The assumption is by almost every biblical scholar is Adam standing right beside her. And Adam doesn't interject and correct her and say, no, 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 that, that's not the full thing that God didn't say anything about touching it. He just said, don't eat it. But the serpent said to the woman, you won't surely die. God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So the serpent just lays that out there. But where does the sin come from? So when the woman saw with her own eyes, the tree was good for food. It was a delight to the eyes. It had desire to make one wise. She took of its fruit. She ate. She gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. The sin originated from within her heart and within Adam's heart. They saw the food. They noticed it was good. It was a delight to their eyes, and they desired it. Their desire led to temptation. The temptation conceived and gave birth to sin, and sin leads to death. And then they do what we do. Skip down with me to verse 12. The Lord is walking and calling for him. You're familiar with the story probably. And then verse 12, the man said, Well, the woman who you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and then I ate it. Adam, you've sinned. Well, but it wasn't me. It was that, that crazy lady. You took one of my ribs, and look what she's done to me. And then verse 13, Then the Lord God said to the woman, What's this you've done? And the woman said, Well, hey, it wasn't me. You remember that serpent was there. He was there, and he said you ought to eat it. No, <laughs> he didn't. You tempted yourself into eating the fruit because the desire came from in here. This is how the world's always been, folks. We rationalize our sin. We blame somebody else. We minimize our sin. We maximize everyone else's sin. And we forget that the good things in our life are not all because we work real hard. All of them are because God gives good gifts. And so, with all that is within us, let us not be the people of judgment. Let us be the people who remember that the only way we're saved is through Jesus. Let us remember together to stop every so often and think, what is my sin? Why is that sin in my life? Lord, what sin am I committing and I don't even know about it? Father, will you forgive me and deliver me 
from my sin. Let us be the people who are more captivated with hating our own sin than condemning the sins of everyone else around us. Let us all collectively lean on Jesus, who is our only hope of righteousness. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that even though we are sinful to the core, you sent your son to die on a cross, to take the punishment that we justly deserve. And because of you, we have new life. We are a new creation. The old has passed away and the new has come. Lord, help us to hate our sin. Help us to crucify ourselves daily. Help us to walk in the newness of your life. Help us to lean on you and you alone. Help us, Lord, not to be judgmental. Help us, Lord, not to look down on others or assume that they don't work as hard as we work. Help us, Lord, to remember that we are who we are by your grace and by your grace alone. We love you so very much, Lord Jesus. We ask that you would move in these times of response. We dedicate this time to you. We ask all this in the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit.